Welcome to Tectonic, episode number 10.4. This is a weekly talk show revolving around the seismic shifts in technology, culture, and the digital age. I am your host, Joe Darnell, and with me is the resident audiophile, Mr. Joshua Pfeiffer. How are you doing? Ready to rock and roll? Yeah. Well, I was yeah. going to say that, but then I, I'd rather call you an audiophile. I think that that is one of the dorkiest, strange words of the age. Yeah, I, I didn't know what to say to that. I Okay, <laughs> I guess. I think the first time that I noticed someone saying it was Steve Jobs a few years ago when he was complaining about the... I'm sorry, he wasn't complaining about... He was noting that some iPhone users were not especially crazy about the external speaker on... Uh, I think it was the iPhone 4. And so he was saying... You audiophiles, don't worry about this speaker. It's a great speaker. Just live with it. <laughs> uh, I was like, an audiophile? Okay. So are you ready to discuss Apple Music and the shenanigans going on in iTunes? Yes. Yes, I am. A lot, lot to say. <clears throat> lot to unwrap. I'm really excited to, to hear your thoughts because you shared with me the other day your mind map about uh, Apple Music, and you, you put my mind maps to shame. Yours are more vertically oriented. Well, I'm not even done. I just I I just got tired. I I, I, tapped, <laughs> I tapped out after like three three hours. I guess we'll get into this, but you know, it's a mess. So I want to go ahead and introduce our guest with us today is Brian Brush. Brian M. Brush. Is is that a special kind of brush if it's got an M in front of it? Uh, you know, I think part of that is as a kid, I always wanted to be a, an author and all, a lot of my favorite writers had their middle initial. So I got really pretentious <laughs> and just have always used the M since then. So I'm not sure if it makes me a special brush. If you if you wanted to get really pretentious, it would be uh, you know just the first two initials and then the last name. That's BM Brush. Uh, that's true. That's right. Like like E.M. Foster. You, you should just throw in a few extra characters for your pen name, BM, BM, BM Brush. <laughs> Similar to my co-host, Sean, who's Sean Patrick, John Paul, George, Ringo Duran. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, we all love that guy. Just the other day I was on your show, but uh, you weren't. That was a cry and shame. So I had to have you on my show. Yeah. And I thought if I, you were on my show, then I might not be on my show. So we know that the universe is course corrected and everything is okay. And that's not going to happen because I, here, I yeah, here I am. And uh, it's, a great, it's a pleasure to have you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. You have the podcast named All of the Above. And a link to that show is in the show notes. Do you want to tell us a little bit about, you know, what you're interested in, why you created your podcast, and what's your interest in technology? Yeah, so in my sort of day-to-day, -day, I'm an instructional designer and educational technologist. So instead of having a pretentious name for an author, I went with pretentious-sounding job titles. That means that I do a lot of design centered around uh, learning theories and educational technology, meaning that I'm using technology to better leverage uh, meaningful learning so those are sort of my like day-to-day -day job type things. But outside of that, I'm a avid reader and podcaster and music enthusiast. So on all of the above, I get to tackle all sorts of topics uh, with an, another designer who's a user experience designer, Sean, who I mentioned, and then a software engineer. So we just sort of take apart the world one topic at a time from all our different perspectives. Now, one of the things I really like about your show is the scope of everything you're willing to tackle. You know, so many of the shows I know have a relatively narrow field of interest. They want to talk about the, you know, the tech culture and the people in the tech culture that are making the culture. 
there are the people at the top, Apple executives, uh, other corporate executives at other star tech companies, and they want to talk about you know what they're saying on Twitter, and then they'll, that'll filter down into the more uh, specific focused topics that concern their technology products. But in your case, even though y'all talk about a lot about technologies, I've gone far beyond that to talk about a web of communication and other ideas in education. I really appreciate that kind of scope because I think it just helps everybody to you know appreciate the world they live in and sharpen their minds and expand their knowledge base with the more inputs that they have. I would say that in an, in a way, all of the above is more about connecting the dots than it is about just an isolated topic. So yeah, I really appreciate the approach to the show and that y'all can demonstrate uh, podcasts can be relatively deep, uh, but at the same time, kind of shallow on the deep things as well. <laughs> Just y'all zip right through the thing and then y'all move on. I wonder when you're going to loop back around and have, introduce some like two-parters. Yeah, we've been thinking about doing that in terms of just continuing a topic over multiple episodes or revisiting them down the line. So like one of the very first awful episodes that we ever did was on podcast. That was our first one where we really started breaking down a topic. But that is something that I feel we could, especially having done it for a while longer, expand on so much more. So we may have to revisit a lot of these topics down the line. And there are a lot of things that I would like to hear some more diverse thoughts on. So we want to have more women on the show. We want to have more minorities represented. So being able to have all of those different voices and re sort of look at these different topics that we've tackled from new diverse perspectives would be really interesting. So that is something we're hoping to do in the pipeline. Excellent. I noticed that one thing that we have is a, that we struggle with in the podcasting culture is that a lot of people want to listen to shows. They just don't really want to get on the microphone. Mm-hmm. And anyone out there listening to this show that you you know you feel like you're a part of a minority, I hope that you will pipe up. I hope that if you get the opportunity, you find your voice and you find your opinion and you articulate something and you give it to the community and we can sharpen sharpen each other. It's it's got to be difficult. I know. Even someone like me, that uh, it, it didn't come naturally. Getting on a microphone just—it doesn't come naturally to you know to white Americans. Just because we're white Americans doesn't mean it just comes naturally. It was a personal choice. I, I wanted to be involved in podcasts, so any way that I could give back is my goals with being on the microphone. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of microphones and what we can do with microphones, leads into the main topic of today. Kinda, not really. <laughs> We're talking about music and everything that goes into our ears over the headphones and speakers. Gentlemen, I really wanted to talk about Apple Music like <laughs> the moment that they finished the keynote. What did y'all think? <laughs> that I'm going to go ahead and just jump in and say that the announcement was rough. So from like Jimmy not understanding the reference to the announcement of the iPhone or to Drake's rambling speech, or Eddie Q playing snippets of songs and dancing very awkwardly. (laughs) It seemed kind of chaotic, and in some ways, I feel that's a little bit indicative of the product that they've released. (laughs) Um, So Apple Music is in some ways ambitious, and it can often be difficult to clearly and quickly communicate a service like that. So maybe that's why the announcement was so just insane. (laughs) You know, I I actually didn't... (sighs) Obviously, I, I did uh, note that some of those things during it, but I kind of let it just wash over me, and I, I wasn't a huge critic of, of the of the presentation. I thought, you know, at the time, I was, you know, I thought it was pretty exciting. I guess kind of the stuff they were doing. Again, letting it kind of all wash over me, but certainly then saying like 
as I walked away, I thought, but wait a second, what does it exactly do again? I mean, it didn't yeah. quite, it didn't quite, uh, I didn't walk away with a real firm grasp at that time, like what mm. it was really doing. And then of course, listening to all the fallout afterwards, I can say, okay, yeah, I guess I, <laughs> I guess I can see that it wasn't, the presentation was, was pretty sketchy. Yeah, what I noticed right off the bat, I was following along while watching the keynote live, listening to some friends on Twitter and sharing in the discussion. And what I noticed was at the time that Tim Cook introduced the segment about music with one more thing, I totally thought, okay, he's wrapping up and he didn't wrap up and then he continued. And I think my brain didn't really appreciate that. And it took them uh, a few minutes to talk about Apple Music before I realized they really were going to go into this for a while yet. And it ended up being another 30 minutes or so of that presentation. I agree with you, Brian. It was just, uh, it, it was a horrible presentation. I don't feel like they were able to convey it at the moment what made this a better music app than the former music app. And they didn't have a way to clearly describe the, uh, the services that they were introducing. Part of me wished like they, they had just said, so everybody thinks that the solution to music today is to use a streaming service like Pandora or Spotify or RDO, but we're unsatisfied with those apps because they have these shortcomings. So we are introducing a brand new Apple Music, and here's why it is the answer to the problems that we face today with streaming. I wish they had just articulated their intent, why they felt like it was necessary. I know that they want to make money with the thing, and I know that they're trying to make iTunes relevant today in spite of all of the sea changes in music, but they didn't explain why we needed it. So on stage, everything just sounded like generic marketing speak, like it was, it was weak. It was gen generic, like... All of the music you love in one place, at your fingertips, everywhere you go, just the way you like it. You know, playlists. Dude, you've never seen those before. I, I just got really frustrated with the presentation because, yeah, it, it didn't sound like they were going anywhere. But then I actually, I think it was two, three weeks after the keynote, I went back and I watched it again and I felt the second viewing, it wasn't as bad. It didn't feel as dramatic and embarrassing as it did the first time. So we had to wait until the app came out and now everybody that wants to use it has it. And I guess that that's like 99.999% just Apple enthusiasts that updated their phones and their Macs and have given it a shot since then. I'll be more interested to hear what everyday people have to say about it in the coming months, because I don't think many everyday people who are already using another streaming service have given Apple Music the scrutiny that we are here in the early days. Yeah, that's actually one of the interesting ideas to me around Apple Music is so a lot of people initially trying it out are going to be sort of the early adopters who always download the latest software and always try out the newest service. And I've seen, I think there was numbers that were released today that uh, iOS 8.4, which is what you need in order to experience Apple Music on a mobile device, uh, is now at 40% adoption, which is pretty fast. So I don't know if that's a sign that a lot of people are uploading or updating their software just because they want to try out Apple Music, or if more and more people are just getting better about updating. But the early adopter idea is kind of interesting because looking at like Twitter and social networks, it seems like there are a ton of people out there trying the service. 
But I think most people in general care deeply about music. So if there's a service that can not only deliver music to us, but deliver it with the type of experience that Apple's known for, then I think people are going to flock to it. So we may see larger adoption of iOS 8.4 than we have of other operating systems from Apple for mobile. So I'm intrigued to see how that goes. And if that's true, which actually stands to reason that it might be very possible, then it means that there is a reason for why people would be attracted to Apple Music in an early stage like this. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is is addressing a interest that people are presently unsatisfied with the options like Spotify and the likes of everything else that we've seen, everything from Groove Shark to, <laughs> well, you know, just using the the present or the former version of iTunes. If you wanted to jump on board with Apple Music by now, then that means you were itching to try something new because you feel like the service you had was not answering all of the interests you had in music. So along that line, what would interest you guys in Apple Music, if anything? If it weren't for this episode of the podcast to discuss it, why would you have just gone to Apple Music and given it a try? So one of the things that intrigued me most, and I'd actually been trying out Beats Music before the Apple Music announcement happened, and the big thing that stuck out to me was the human curation. So Spotify offers all sorts of artists that it thinks it'll be interested in. It offers playlists that seem super algorithmic, where there's no personality behind them, and the human curation in Beats Music really called out to me, and that's what I've noticed has been one of the most enjoyable aspects of Apple Music. So that's what initially stood out to me as an interesting idea. But then there's also this whole Beats 1, which a lot of people out there are mocking millennials who were excited about Beats 1, saying radios existed for a very long time. But I think it's a a different beast, and so we might have to talk about that a little bit as well. But what was it that you guys had felt was your initial appeal to Apple Music? Well, I pretty much downloaded as soon as possible simply because uh i had to prepare for this podcast <laughs> that, was, that was pretty much it I mean, that's I, a great motivation joshua i probably would have uh, uh updated I'm, i typically update the first day but yeah i just i i'm not sold on the on the streaming thing i guess i'm just an old guy uh never i i missed that wave do you traditionally use itunes in the old way yeah just the, the music app from the phone typically is where i listen to most of my music so yeah i'll, I'll buy an album or two or maybe maybe five albums a year, maybe you know. So wow. I'm not a huge music connoisseur, so this probably is not for me. But but I, I do iTunes Match, so I have everything everything in my pocket, so to speak. But you know, I have to technically stream it, but it's my stuff. Ah. But I, I have been trying to giving it a, an honest shot. Hmm. I've got a lot of mixed mixed thoughts, but I, I think I think the Discover stuff might might be cool for hmm. me. I'm, I, maybe I'll continue with it for a while and at least through the free trial period oh yeah sure sure yeah well my interest in apple music is that really my interest in music started with my dad many years ago and if you jump forward several years to when ipods were introduced my older brother introduced me to the ipods and very quickly i rediscovered my fascination with whatever apple was coming out with and that was probably around the time i started paying attention to apple keynote events So I would see Steve Jobs talking about iTunes on the Mac and what the iPod Classic could do. And I watched as new models of the iPods came along. So really, my appreciation for music coincided with the iPod development generation. And that meant that I was, I just see, I saw them as inseparable. Like my experience with music 
was closely tied to whatever Apple offering there was. So iTunes mattered a great deal to me. I actually used it for some of the audio importing and uh, exporting settings and features that are built into the preferences of iTunes to do some professional work. Every now and then I'd actually be uh, using it to upload track data using uh, the service where, you know, you can get all the track names and the album names and the artists and what have you for albums I was creating for companies back in the day. So I was using iTunes on a professional level as well as an, not an indie artist, but an indie producer. And it's really bugged me that in recent years, iTunes just got bloated. It, it, it carried too much baggage where you could sync your all of your iOS devices in iTunes. Then you had movies on top of that and television shows on top of that. And then for who knows what reason, you had a library of all of the iOS apps that you could not use on the Mac within iTunes for backup purposes. But then it seemed like they could have done something else with that. Like, oh, I don't, I don't want to go there. It's another topic for another day. But they didn't do anything with that. So iTunes lost focus. And that killed me because I saw how it was damaging the interface. And it was putting buttons and menus in odd places. The actions you could take from a drop-down menu were getting wordier and wordier so that you didn't know exactly sh- for sure what you would get other features seemed like they just collected dust they, that Apple wasn't really making good use of. So I, like so many people, I turned to streaming services. I wanted a better streaming service. And guys, I really tried to give Spotify a fair shake. But I did not get into Spotify because it was just bathed in ads. And then if you got rid of the ads by paying for a membership, I still wasn't crazy about the entire service as, as it was going. I, like so many people didn't care about the idea of reinventing my entire music library on a streaming service, especially with an app that I wasn't especially crazy about from a service I wasn't crazy about that seemed to be catering to music genres I wasn't especially interested in. So Spotify wasn't my thing, and I probably would have skipped the original wave of streaming services altogether until I was introduced to audio from Sandwich Video and Lonely Sandwich talking about audio and a in a earlier promo video that came out a while back about RDO. And I really liked RDO because of the design. It was fabulous. And it just looked so clean. It looked so user-friendly. So I give it a shot. And what I noticed was they were using um, a, a very specific look and feel that was flat, that was uncharacteristic of iOS 6. And I thought, guys, they've got something great going on here. And just shortly thereafter, iOS 7 was introduced. So audio was ahead of the curve. And I thought, okay, these guys kind of know what they're doing. I'll give them a fair sh- a shot and I'll use them alongside of iTunes. Now you flash forward to today and I, I haven't really been satisfied with my long-term membership with audio because they don't have all of the music I want. I'm really, I'm really a movie soundtrack enthusiast and I'm interested in other genres, but not as much as I am in movie soundtracks. And right and left, if I try to find an album on RDO that's from movie soundtracks, they may or may not have it. It's a complete toss-up. 50% of the time, I can't find the music I'm looking for. And even though they had some pretty good discovery features, most of those discovery features lent themselves to traditional music artists. And if, you want, if I wanted to, dis- to discover new music uh, from traditional artists, I would have found it. But I would not find the music from, uh, you know, a new a movie composer. 
not very well, not very easily in RDO. Could some days of the week, but not very often. So I was very receptive to Apple Music in spite of all the problems with the initial wave of the introduction at key at the keynote, because I really hoped that Apple Music could answer many of the problems I had with RDO and its shortcomings. Even sometimes just fiddliness in the interface on the Mac or on the iPhone with RDO that just kind of tainted the entire experience with music from time to time. So the fact that you had used RDO for as long as you have intrigues me. So I'd initially signed up for RDO right when it was announced. Um, also intrigued by the lonely sandwich ads and everything. But while the design was beautiful, I didn't feel like there was a large selection of music available. And then there weren't any features that really called out to me that said, hey, streaming is going to change the way you interact with music in the same way that Spotify ended up changing that for me. Um, the design was beautiful, but it seemed like it was a bunch of designers that got together to, who maybe cared about music to make a music streaming service but that they weren't passionate about music as their focus. Mm. And I think they've lost a lot of my interest with them as a result. And I also had a lot of, when I initially signed up, just awful audio quality coming through. And I'm normally not too picky on that because I actually love lo-fi experimental folk music. That's sort of one of my favorite genres. So I'm already okay with music that doesn't sound all that perfectly produced, but it seemed like audio wasn't pumping out what I expected. And that was the initial streaming service that I had tried. And so I backed away from streaming for maybe another six to nine months before I eventually tried out Spotify. And that was the service that started to really appeal to me because it was giving me recommendations based upon what I was listening to. So a lot of the effort that I spent in discovering music was reduced because it was piping me new music all the time. Um, And then I started to realize all that money and effort that I invested into buying records constantly as somebody who's a huge music enthusiast, I spent a lot of money buying new records and it was actually more cost effective for me to pay for a streaming service. So Spotify ended up winning me over and it also had some social features that were important to me. So I could see what friends were listening to. I could create and share playlists. We could curate those together simultaneously. So a lot of those features won me over to streaming services but it wasn't RDO that I stuck with. It ended up being Spotify. Hmm. And Joshua, you were saying that in, in general, you've not been interested in streaming services to date because you'd rather have your own special, well-organized, long-term curated collection, right? Well, you know, it's, it's that. And, and I just, I can't listen to music during the day, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty busy in the evening. So my actual music listening time is pretty limited. So, you know, paying that much for, essentially renting music doesn't really work out. I don't, I don't think it will work out. I, I'm going to, again, like I said, persevere for the next three months and, and mm. see, and then probably cancel and then kind of see how I feel after that. But, mm. you know, I, I'm intrigued, you know, that Apple is, you know, not only curating, but, uh, but, but taking those, those hearts, the, the feedback we give it and, and creating a, a discoverability, I guess, but obviously they're, they're late to the game. So it'll be interesting to see, how it shakes up. Mm. Brian and Joshua, I'm curious. I think that everybody kind of approaches their music experience a little bit differently and how they want to digest the music. Like you already said, Joshua, you've been fairly comfortable with iTunes match up until now. And I was always intrigued by the idea, but I wasn't sold on it because, well, it just seemed 
uh, like more worky work to do with my music library to manage it locally, to manage it online, to worry about whether or not I would lose music online. How would that impact my local copy? Then make sure the album artwork was correct. Yes, that was mine. And it wasn't, it should be DRM free. You know, like I did not want that endless sea of possible, you know, messed up systems. And I heard about, you know, many people who lost their music early on with iTunes match. And then when iTunes match was, I guess, made more reliable, fewer and fewer people had any reason to talk about it. So if there were known bugs, I didn't hear about them. So I just grew kind of wary of the thing. And so anyway, what I'm trying to get at is I think that everybody comes at their music uh, in a very unique way. And I find this very interesting. The way that I consume my podcasts is utterly different from how it seems everybody else consumes podcasts. So how do you guys approach your music? Uh, How do you navigate down to what you want to listen to? I find that typically... I just start from what what mood am I in? Well, I'm in the mood for some uh, singer-songwriter right now. I'm in the car, and I don't want to listen to a podcast. And at that point, I'm usually at a loss because I don't know enough singer-songwriter music to find an artist and to find an album. So I would lean heavily on discovery. But if my mood were different, I'd probably have a playlist for everything else. You know, I have some stuff for alternative, for classic rock, for what they call oldies. Um, I have a lot of movie soundtracks and classical music. So uh, how do you guys navigate through your music down to what you want to like, what you want to listen to? So for me, streaming services in general have drastically changed the way I listen to and discover music to the point I'm almost forgetting what it was that I did beforehand. Um, so <laughs> You're an autopilot. Some... You're not sure how you arrived <laughs> at the thing. You just hit play yeah. and it goes... Yeah. I, what did I listen I, to today? I don't know. I listened to it for eight hours though, and it was great. <laughs> yeah. So that's like a interesting aspect of these streaming services. So for as me, who's someone with a ravenous appetite for music, I spend so much time searching for an artist that I may enjoy and then investing fully into their records and consuming every minute detail of the album. And five years ago, if I can sort of piece together what I used to do, I probably would have been able to provide every bit of information on a song from who produced it to the instruments to use tempos beats per minute all of that information and that was because i would search for an artist that i loved and then i would buy all of their albums and i would play those all the way through over and over again until i knew every aspect of it but now that streaming services have opened up millions of records to me i'm finding myself less likely to stick to any one album for a long time mm, yeah so like an album has to really stand out to me and then I'll keep returning to it. And that meant I was often looking for specific artists and records or specific genres. But now when I'm looking through music, I can search by even mood or subject. And that's new to me in terms of how I navigate music. Mm. So before, like if we were asked what music we liked, we might say rock or folk or hip hop, and we would specify a genre. Right. And then we might get even more specific with subgenres. But now we we can say, I like music that invokes a particular feeling or is lyrically and contextually about a certain subject. So we can make playlists of love songs in the past, sure. But today I'm seeing playlists that are even more specific. So like music for when you're sitting in a hammock is something that Apple Music recommended to me. And (laughs) indie music for runners or songs for someone who hasn't been able to sleep for a few days. So it's getting super specific about how we navigate music. And that's very new to me that feelings and context are so heavily involved with music today. 
it, it, it's uh, I agree that that's what that's where they're going, and that's kind of one of the areas where I'm struggling. And it's like it's so much stuff to look through. Like I don't, you know, I'm scrolling through. I, I'm not on a hammock. You know, why am I looking at this right now? You know, it, it just seems like they just keep they just keep. It's like a a, a fire. They hydrant. were tracking your location, Joshua. You are on a hammock. They know it. Yeah, they they actually started to concern me because all of the playlists I was being recommended were like songs for people who have recently been broken up with or songs for somebody who's sad on a Sunday. And I'm like, why do you think that I am chronically depressed? What's going on? So, so yeah, there, there is stuff like that where they're just throwing stuff up at you and, and, or, you know, there at this point, I, I guess it's, I, I just want to get, I just want to fast forward to the user interface, but we're very close. There's no way to, there's no way to, to edit, uh, stuff you don't like. Like if I just don't care about electric, I don't know what that is. I don't, I don't want to see it. I don't want anything to do with it. You know, I can't get rid of it. It's there. So this is actually an interesting part since it does tap into the UI is on your for you section. If you press and hold on a suggestion, it will pop up the sort of Blackberry menu is what people are calling them, where there's just this massive list of options. (laughs) And one of those is I don't like this suggestion. But that's a hidden UI element, oh. so people aren't aware that it's there. And that's one of the things that I think is very problematic with Apple Music, oh, is there's so yeah. much going on with the UI that not everyone's aware of what's there. So so my, my, <laughs> my mind map just went crazy. It just got so much bigger now that I know that that... <laughs> oh, gosh. That, that's something that I discovered with RDO a while back, that, yeah, you tap and hold on a tappable item, and it calls up a menu. So that particular uh, use case on the phone just already made sense to me, though you're absolutely right, Brian, that it's sort of like force touch on the Apple Watch. You just got to press that down all the way on whatever location of any app you're in and discover, oh, look at there, I can quit my exercise, press the stop button. <laughs> but you would never know that unless you done force touch. That kind of thing kills me. You're right that that's that's kind of unintuitive. Okay, so so here I am. I'm in my for you. This is a real live beta test here, and there's <laughs> there's one. I guess there's I can't tell the difference between a playlist or or what here. But when I tap and hold one, it look it, it gives me one, two, three, four, five, six options. I tap and hold the next one, it gives me nine options. Wait, what? I'm not, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go through. I'm telling you, I could. It's 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 a completely different context throughout the whole thing, and that's where I was trying to get get with my mind map and to and to highlight areas that were different. But I see this all throughout this app. Yeah, and along these lines, when you call up that long tap menu, you see where it says the name of the album at the top and shows a little thumbnail. And in my case, is showing up the avalanches colon influences. In, in some of the places of the app, if you press that, it'll actually go to the artist or it'll go to that album that that uh, track is from. But in this case, under For You, it does not. It does nothing. It's just there. It looks exactly the same. And this is uh, one of the ways in which I think flat design is wreaking havoc on what is and isn't supposed to be a button or a link. And you cannot always tell. So something that didn't occur to me when I first installed the update was, how do I get to the music player now that I've selected something? I don't know. It's it's on somewhere. I just don't know how to get to my music player. It took me an embarrassing like 30 seconds to figure out, oh, that bar at the bottom over top of my menu. It doesn't look like a button, but it is a button. So I should tap it and it takes me to my music player. So I guess I just I just figured it out. One, one is a playlist, the other one is an album, but 
but still, why, why are there different options? I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Eh. So as we kind of already said, uh, the for you section is a collection of albums and playlists that apples and beats curators are recommending to you based on the music that you've identified that you like when you created your personal account with the Apple music service. And that is where you chose artists and genres or just artists that you already like, or is it just artists? It initially, I believe does ask for both. When you sign up, it gives you an element that's from beats music that they just pulled right out of it and plugged into Apple music where it asks, what genres are you into? You can tap on these little bubbles that are bouncing around. So if you're into alternative and folk and Americana, you can tap on those. Tapping once makes the bubble slightly bigger. Tapping twice makes it huge. And then you can press and hold something to say, I'm really just not into country music, for example. If you press and hold that, it'll remove it. Right. And they, and they, don't, and they don't tell you that. <laughs> they don't tell you that because there are certain things that, that I don't like. And yet I went through that process and I discovered it after the fact. But now it, it's, again, it's impacted the, the whole algorithm again for me. So why not give that sort of instruction? That's what blows my mind. Yeah. And then they, you can go back and you can adjust that by going into the account settings, but that's also difficult and confusing to find. So there's, there's just so much happening. And I'm not going to say that Apple Music's the only one with user interface and user experience problems in terms of streaming services, because Spotify's latest approach to their UI is infinitely worse than what it was before. And it was already <laughs> pretty bad. Um, RDOs was beautiful and I don't have enough experience with it to speak too much to their current design, but it seems like streaming services in general are just very difficult to do well. And when you have so many features jam packed into one application, it can be really tough to design for that. And that's part of why like iTunes on the Mac is oh, such yeah. an issue is that there's so much happening and it's kind of like we're experiencing that now with the music application on our iOS devices. Um, but yeah, so with the, sort of setting up what your interests and in, in, like music that you're into on Apple Music is. You have first your genres, then when you go to the next step, then it pulls bands from those genres and asks if you're into them, and you can keep telling it to give you better suggestions as you remove people. So Fish, as much as Marco Arment won't like to hear it, I do not like Fish, so I'm going to press and hold and delete Fish from the suggestions and then I'm going to tell it to bring in some new bands. Yep. But it's not a very clear onboarding experience, and then it's going to require a lot more personal curation after that. And what amazes me is my iTunes library and my music app beforehand had tons of play counts of music that I love. Right. They had playlists that I've already made. Why aren't you tapping into that metadata and, and including that? Right, right. That, that's what drove me crazy. There was, because I'm not a huge music guy, I had to go through like seven or eight different pages just to find an artist that I knew about, <laughs> you know, and, and I've got a handful that I, I could say, yeah, I really like those guys, but I, I had to just keep, yeah, more artists, more artists. I had to just keep clicking it because I just didn't recognize any names. Why couldn't I search and, and or type in, you know, a, a handful of folks I like? I, that's, that bothered me a lot. And well, now that we're kind of talking about it, but we're not really talking about it, I will break it down. Like here are the many sections that have made Apple Music Music, the app, (laughs) oh, so much bigger. We have the For You section, which is all recommendations from curated playlists and albums and artists that the specialists at iTunes and Beats have collected for you based on your account information. Then you have the Star section, which is named New. 
and it you can navigate it by genres. And if you tap on this at the top, you, yeah, you just work through genres. So you can look at like anything new that would show up in Apple Music based on the catalog of what's available on iTunes that's also available in Apple Music. They're not the same, but they're fairly close, which is looking at in the neighborhood of 30 million plus individual song tracks. But in this case, you're just looking at new, which is kind of hard to pinpoint. And uh, it's just a, it's just a fire hose of everything, which is not a bad thing. I think a lot of people would want to come here, but it's something that I haven't really been drawn to. Not too many people are talking about it. And as big as this already is, there's already so many choices. I have already too many choices in the app that I just want to skip this section entirely. How about you guys? Well, I don't mean skip the conversation. I mean, like skip it when I'm actually using the app. <laughs> right, right, right. I, so, so, you know, at the very top, like you said, you, you select the genre. Okay, great. That makes sense. But then you scroll down just a little bit and you see the Apple editors playlist. You select that and then it goes back to all genres. Yeah. You're mentioning the thing that drove me nuts when using the new section. So I think in some ways this is a lot better than what Spotify has to offer because it's letting me have a little bit better just user interface in terms of searching for specific genres. But the fact that it's not remembering what I told it, like what you're experiencing, that drives me insane. <laughs> it's a, this is a simple database fail. I mean, I don't know how to explain how bad this is. <laughs> well, and this brings to mind a second ago when we were talking about the for you section, when you are setting up your account and you're choosing the artists and genres you like that are personalized for you, you don't even have the option of movie soundtracks. You have tons of genres to choose from, and my favorite isn't listed there, which is a huge shame because iTunes virtually has all of the music. My big complaint about audio is that half of the time you could not find the soundtracks that you like, but they're all there in iTunes. They just don't let you discover it because I cannot associate soundtracks to my account. And that I think is a limitation of how Beats app previously worked. In the Beats app, they didn't especially focus on movie soundtracks. And this feature of how it algorithmically looks at what your personality likes and dislikes are is based on how the Beats app worked. So that's a carryover, and hopefully they figure that out in an upcoming version update, maybe in a year or less. Then they'll include the soundtracks because it just makes sense, people. It just it just makes sense. And then, uh, then there's the radio section. Okay, so Beats 1, which is Apple's foray into the field of radio, is pretty intriguing to me. And as I mentioned earlier, people keep mocking millennials for being somewhat excited about Beats 1 with their constant jokes of silly kids, radio already exists. But I believe that it's a, their perspective on this is a little short-sighted and missing some of the beauty of Beats 1. So radio today is not in any way like it was in the past. A lot of those mocking the younger generations for enjoying it seem to be completely oblivious to the fact that the golden age of radio is very, very dead. Um, so radio is now like commercialized to the point it's got no soul. Most of it's owned by iHeartMedia, and it's nothing more than ads interspersed with the same 20 songs that are played over and over and over <laughs> again. So uh, while I'm super fortunate to live in Columbus, Ohio, where we have CD1025, which is one of the only remaining and one of the best independent radio stations in the country that still actually has a soul, not everyone's got that opportunity, um, and not everyone wants to listen to long, obnoxious commercials and then occasionally hear a song that's in the top 40. So Beats 1 is kind of putting an end to that, and it's doing it in a way that's one worldwide, so I'm getting to experience the same song with people in over 100 countries 
That's a pretty cool user experience. And then the ads that I have heard are so short and sweet that they're incredibly tolerable. And it's kind of, in a way, bringing radio back to its roots, uh, because the most crucial aspect of Beats 1, and in my opinion, of any good radio station, is that there are curators of good and diverse music who also have a really good personality to boot. So Beats 1 is giving us that in like a style that appeals to a younger generation, unlike traditional radio. And I personally really hope that Apple keeps this up because I'm interested to see if there will be a Beats 2 and 3 and how they're going to expand this concept that they're they're growing here. So, yeah, this confused me. Uh, well, first off, I, I've got an old iPhone, iPhone uh, 5. So the screen's small. When I go to, to the radio, the Beats 1 takes up the whole entire screen. So, yeah, that, <laughs> that kind of bothers me. Uh, all of the... I, I keep trying Beats 1. All of the songs, I, I just... I not my thing. So I won't be listening to Beats 1, I don't think. I'll keep playing with it just just to see. But then it goes on to these featured stations. What What is the featured station and how does that differ from a playlist, a curated playlist? They're all, they all seem to be automated, right, Brian? Yeah. So my understanding is that these are purely algorithmic. So it's kind of, if you've had any experience with iTunes radio before, it's just that. So you can tell it like, hey, I like this song and I don't like that song. And please for the love of all things good and holy, never play this song again. So you can tell it that, and it's just an algorithm that's updating that playlist based upon what you've inputted into it. Um, so it's not like what we see with the For You section where we have playlists that are curated from actual people who are a little more aware of what's going on with each individual song. I gotcha. So ultimately, it's just the iTunes radio we've had for a while now here in the U.S. Yeah, that sounds like it sounds like a good thing to retire. Just put it away, put it out to pasture. <laughs> well, you know they're not going to do that because they haven't retired <laughs> so many other things. Also, I'm I'm playing around with the radio, the, the featured stations here, and it doesn't appear like it does give me. Uh, oops it doesn't give you the option to actually dislike something. You can heart it or not. <laughs> so again, the the interface is different from the, the playlist side on the new, you know, where I, I have seen the, where you can either, I like the song, I don't like the song, and that's great, but why not on the radio? It's well, like not, many not people have pointed out, though, like Brian, too, uh, was mentioning earlier today, the if you, if you skip a track, it seems to send a lot of that information in the algorithm as, you know, like that, that's a negative sign. If I skip something, that's telling the service that I don't especially care for this track for who knows what reason. It's just enough to tell it I skipped it. So in all likelihood, I'm probably not crazy about that track. I think it's sort of like it, that is the equivalent of a dislike button. But I, I hear you, Joshua, that that again is not intuitive. It's not. It's not very helpful that there isn't a way to tell it. I just don't care for this. There, there's no reason it shouldn't be consistent. Zero reason. I. I I'm not happy. Yeah. Not happy. <laughs> and Joshua, you had before I think we started recording actually had mentioned that they should just let us know what the algorithms are. How are they determining this? Which. They don't need to give us the nitty gritty details of how they're doing it for the sake of protecting their IP, but sure, yeah. But let uh, let us know, let us know not to skip ahead on your favorite song because I was going through and I was I was pressing heart. Oh, I really like that song. Let me press heart. Let me click <laughs> click to the next one just to kind of give this algorithm all the information it needs for me. And and yeah, so I probably just completely confused it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think a lot of people in software and especially at Apple where they try to remove the idea of like code and software, unless you're a developer from the user experience in music selection, I think they kind of need to 
bring that more to the forefront and say like, this is how we're calculating and determining things so that you can make better decisions and have a better experience using it. Mm. So algorithms may, and for most of software engineering, may be something that you hide in the background and you don't let your users know. But when it comes to something as personal as music, I think you should let us be aware of the decisions that we're making and how we're communicating to the service. Right. Especially with the stars and hearts. I mean, how, how many more you know different shapes are we going to have to, or, or the checkboxes or the, <laughs> like all these different shapes? What do they mean? Well, and speaking of how you interact with the service and how it's giving you things that you do or do not dislike and want to see, there is the connect section where you can see news feeds coming in straight from the artists and groups. So I've seen things in here from Yo-Yo Ma, Muse, Piano Guys. It goes on and on. Okay, okay, but here's here's the part that I I, I don't believe is entirely true in Connect. Here's an update from Frank Sinatra. <laughs> It's just kind of killing me. Yeah, and here's uh, Johnny Cash. So this seems to be just a great long streaming uh, marketing feed. Yeah, This is where you can go to see everything from what looks like a Twitter uh, update to something like a selfie on Instagram to check out my latest album to be sure to buy tickets, blah, 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 blah. And that's really just stuff that, that caters back to the spirit of Ping. And it's really not something I'm interested in. Yet at the same time, I I completely respect why other people would prefer to get this kind of streaming marketing from the service than to have to hunt it down on the internet. To a lot of people, this probably will be useful when you want to follow the artists you would like to see in person. And you'd like to be aware of when they're in town. It's just, uh, it's, I don't think it's going to be universally interesting to Apple Music users. Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and just admit that I looked at Connect for a few minutes and then felt it was completely useless to me and turned it right <laughs> off. So you can actually go into restrictions and turn off Connect and thus you get yourself a playlist button instead. Are you serious? Yeah. So that is like I, a feature. That is a feature. Yeah. So I far prefer that. Um, and this is where I feel like Apple starts their biggest misstep is... For me, the streaming services, the sharing and being able to connect with other users and my friends and see their music, that's what I was hoping Connect would be. And then when Drake walked out on stage during the announcement, I was like, oh, never mind. This is absolutely <laughs> nothing that I want. And it sounds like at the moment, it's not even good for artists. So Dave Wiskus, who's a brilliant designer, um, but is also a musician, wrote a really interesting piece on Connect from the artist perspective that talks about how awful it is to use mm. and uh, Trent Reznor actually responded to him and said that he's going to work to try to fix that and make it better but it sounds like just nobody on either side of the spectrum is really enjoying this service thus far and I'm afraid it's going to end up getting that same feeling that Ping got even though I personally think that Ping was actually a good service so we might have to chat about <laughs> that too. Interesting see I, I hardly even remember what Ping accomplished because I created my Ping profile I thought that people would show up and, ha and a conversation around music would get started and then nothing happened. Yeah. So for me, it was a service that was sort of before its time or just came a little bit too soon. So if we look at like Beats Music, Spotify, and RDO, we have services that have tons of ping-like features. Friends can see what you're listening to. You can follow artists and see when they post new music, and you can comment on specific songs or albums and share those comments with friends. 
And that's what ping was. It wasn't a very nice user interface. So like where you expected to be able to show up and have like that conversation, it was kind of tucked off to the side, like an afterthought. Um, but I feel like there are a lot of people that feel what's missing from Apple music is that social aspect of being able to see what your friends are listening to, not have it automatically follow the artist that I have been listening to because some of those artists, I only listen to the album because a friend told me to, I don't actually care about them. Don't automatically put that in my connect feed. <laughs> and then I want to be able to see like comments from friends, like on Spotify, somebody can be like, man, I really, really love this song. Let me share that and post it into this timeline right, right. so that everyone can see what's going on. Well, I think there is a, there is a comment timeline, but I don't think it has anything to do with your friends. I think it's like everyone in the world, Yeah, and which is pretty stupid. I, I yeah, mean, it's just like inter YouTube. internet comments, really. I mean, <laughs> yeah, because if we look at YouTube, comments on media is not something that we need. It just leads to insanity. <laughs> and so, so when they when they first were announcing Connect, I was I immediately thought, okay, I have no interest in this personally. But looking at it from the big picture, I was actually excited because I thought what it was going to be was like a further. A decentralizing of the music industry. And so like, I've got like a, my brothers-in-law have just this small little band. And I thought that would be so cool for them to be on the same ranking, same, you know, get folks to access their stuff and communicate. So I thought it would be really, really cool in theory, not for me, I don't care. But I thought as far as taking, taking the <clears throat> the barriers out between artists and, and, and discovery, I thought was a really cool idea, but it, it, it's not looking very promising. So then we come to the perhaps the most important section, which is just simply labeled My Music. And that is such an unassuming name. There's so much going on here. Um, <laughs> I, I both love it and hate it, but it, and the reason I hate it isn't so much from my personal experience, because so far everything is holding together with scotch taping glue. It feels like this kind of looks like an improvement to how I was engaging with playlists in the past and the ability to add something to my, my library virtually from everything in iTunes. That's a huge win. It's really cool, but it's, it's formatted in a, in a compartmentalization compounded mess. I like the idea that I have my library and then there is also the iTunes library. And I like the idea that there is my playlists in this section. It's just, this is the part that I think I'm going to end up spending the most time in the Apple Music app, and I'm not yet sure what I think of it. I don't think it deserves to be the last menu item on the bottom right corner of the entire music app. It deserves to have a more prominent placement. Yeah, this is where I struggle most with Apple Music. So I'm incredibly thankful a company is trying to finally find a way to balance music that I own with that of a streaming catalog, but I'm not sure Apple's fully figured out how to solve that problem. Um, like there's been confusion about how it integrates with services like iTunes match. And I'm now starting to get confused about what music is actually my music and what yeah. music is just stuff that I've saved. And then if I'm listening to say, and the rare instance that I bought just a single off of a record in my music, I can tap to show the complete album, but I can't save those songs unless I do them one by one. But then if I go search and I find that album, then I can save the whole album and there's confusing UI elements with it. Then once I've saved the whole album, I don't know which song was the one that I've purchased versus the ones that are 
just in streaming and it it's starting to muddy the waters between streaming and owning and maybe that was actually apple's goal is that we get users so dependent on streaming that they just continue subscribing because they're afraid of what will happen if they stop <laughs> yeah sure um, why not <laughs> yeah but as someone who's still iffy on the service as a whole this just really confuses me and like you said it's seems like the last thing that they put onto the menu set which maybe is a sign of what their thoughts were about it initially like this is the last thing we'll look at um, <laughs> whereas like radio's right in the middle and i feel like that should maybe be the thing on the far right or at least take radio and connect and shift them to the right and put my music in the middle right mm-hmm. and then while you're in my music you have your le- your library the button on the uh, top center uh and then you, beside that you have playlists now since you have connected deactivated and playlists that appear in the bottom menu of music, Brian, does playlists appear at the top here as well? Uh, I believe so. Let me pull it up and double check it. Actually, it looks like it does not. So it just gives you that default playlist button. So you just have to tap between the two of them. And while you're in library, it's going to present things that are in your phone, but also the things you have, like you said, that feel like there's that ambiguous uh, quality to it. Like th- this is stuff that may or may not yet be on your phone, but was added to your library from your collection of Apple music. And if you tap the magnifying glass, you can search <clears throat> everything that is on Apple music or everything that is within my music. And you have to choose which one you want to search. You cannot search both at the same time. It's still confusing though. Cause if you, if you search within my music and search for something you've added from Apple music, it's there. Mm-hmm. So that says it's yours, but not really it's but kind of sort of, I mean, it's yeah. Uh, it, it, I really, it, well, well, and then get this guys. It's interesting that when you tap search, they give you two rather nice features for the search. You have the trending searches. So that's telling you what everybody else cares about. That's using the Apple music app. And that's interesting. If you want to find something that's trendy and then also up in the search bar, you have the clock icon, which takes you to a list of your recent searches. So this is kind of cool because it even gives you the option to clear your recent searches and whoever made the search form had his head screwed on, right? Like whoever made this was thinking about these things. He wanted to make a rather decent feature and make search rather useful. So this is one of the examples where the app just makes sense. And it's one of the few sections where I found it 95% intuitive And I'm satisfied with that kind of result, seeing as how every time I've tried to use the search, it just worked. And I think that that leads into like the ultimate must get right quality about Apple Music. And that is from day one, if you had people using the app and they were not able to find music quickly that they would like to listen to and just play, then the music app had failed. That was the the test at Apple. This app had better work so that anyone and everyone can find something to listen to within just seconds and move on so that they could listen while they went about their business. I think being able to get quickly get to a song and start playing music is certainly an important aspect of an app that is entirely centered around music, but they spoke so much of discovery and of knowing our taste and tapping into human curation, all these things that I think they're trying to push towards a different goal than music almost as a disposable service. Because if the goal Mm. is to just get in quickly and play a song very fast, 
that is treating music like it's just background noise. But for those of us that get so heavily and deeply involved with music and really want to break down, all right, on this track, Sufjan is playing banjo and it's tuned in this particular manner. What type of mood does that invoke? For those people who get into music on that sort of level, I don't know if this is the right approach, but maybe the majority of the world listens to music that way, where it is just disposable background noise. You just need to be able to get in and get out very quickly. I've not actually looked at the search much, uh, just no- noting the some you know somewhat interesting thing where you you know within my music, if you search, you know you'll see stuff that's really Apple Music, but saved in my music. So again, we we touched on that the the blurring of those lines. I don't care for. Um, and, and it's especially, you know, it's the same thing with an iTunes on, on the Mac. If I cancel, I guess obviously that stuff will just go away. I'm not a fan, but for the overall, my music interface, this recently added again with this small iPhone screen takes up half my screen. Why can't it go away? <laughs> also, I don't get the, the distinction between library and playlists. I think playlist was always a subset of something, you know, you chose like artist genre, stuff like that. And you chose playlist. Why is playlist now this separate thing, separate from library, like on the top? So like, I don't see why that top tab is there, uh, the toggle. I, I would just be happy to open it up and have one thing to tap artists, genre, all that, and, and kind of go from there. I think, I think that would, that would make the user interface a lot nicer on this particular tab. Interesting. So final thoughts, guys, there's so much more we could say, like I'm not crazy about iTunes on the max updates with the service. It feels like it's all all together, just more iTunes for the Mac clutter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You were, you were saying earlier how you didn't care for iTunes as it was growing in in bloat and it just got a whole lot bloatier. Yeah. iTunes used to be one of my favorite applications to use because I spent so much time adding in album art for music and adding in all this metadata, which streaming services conveniently fill in all of that for me. But now when I pull up iTunes, there's a part of my soul that just gets filled with hate. And it makes (laughs) me sad to think that something I used to love and use all the time is now just a curmudgeon in my life. Mm. And the thing, yeah, I mean, like if, if I break it down, I'll still use iTunes for the Mac when I don't feel like fishing my iPhone out of my pocket to look at while I'm at the desk. I prefer to keep my hands on the keyboard in a quick command tab, switch to iTunes, manage something, switch to another playlist on my headphones, listen to it and keep working as I go. It's great. It's just that when I stop to think about the app as a designer, it kills me because I've been saying it for more than a year now. I'd like the videos section to be given its own dedicated app. If you want to sync and create backups of your iOS devices over your Mac, I'd like to be taken, that to be taken out of iTunes and given its own dedicated app. And anything to do with apps that have to do with iOS, get it out of there. Again, it can go with that dedicated iOS backup app. Just boil it down to give us our music services in iTunes, period. That'd be awesome make a dedicated video app that manages local uh, videos and television shows and my home movies and also anything that I want to purchase or watch or rent or stream on iTunes with video con that's video content. You know, I mean, why can't we do that? We got that on the Apple TV. We could essentially do that on the Mac as well. We also got it on iOS. So why not the Mac already guys? You just made it all the bigger and uglier. Um, 
But yeah, okay, so final thought, final, final thought. I'm going to continue using Apple Music until I'm done with this free trial, and I'll probably stick with it and continue using the app and cancel my RDO membership. I just want one app to rule them all. <laughs> I want all of the music in one place. Long-term means good things. If I can learn my way around the app, it won't matter that it's unintuitive because I'll know my way around the app and that'll be good enough. And uh, I know it seems kind of lame because it's really not necessary, but I really enjoy using Siri to tell her to play something for me so that I can spend even less time navigating to an app, calling up a menu, tapping on a playlist, hitting the play button. I can just, you know, tell Siri from the watch, even play all of this particular playlist and boom, it happens a few seconds later. Right. I've been, I've been using Siri a lot for music. That's typically how I, I start stuff up. So, so the fact that she is getting better, I guess it's a, she, it it is pretty cool, you know? So I I do actually like that part Mm. because it bypasses the user interface. So final thoughts is I submitted my application to Apple uh, true story. <laughs> Come fix this for. So hire me, hire me, Apple. I will, I will help you. And and then Joshua, you can help us out with our concerns. Yep. <laughs> so for me, it's a we'll have to see type of situation. Um, so they've given us the three month trial that you mentioned, and that's in my opinion kind of crazy long to test something out. So they must really want people to get fully invested and see everything it has to offer. Um, but there are times when I miss like features in Spotify and end up going back to it. And while Apple music has me intrigued, time's going to sort of tell for me as to whether I'm going to stick with it. And I think one of the biggest influence influencers for me, will be if my friends migrate to the service. So if they start sharing songs with me all the time, and those links are always pointing to Apple music, then I'm probably just going to go to that service to save me the time and effort from having to then manually search for whatever it is within Spotify. And if everyone starts disappearing from Spotify, then those social features that I love and enjoy are going to be useless because people aren't there using the platform in the same way. So it's going to be a little bit of a combination of just seeing how Apple works out some of these user interface flaws, how they fix some of the bugs that are in there, and how the friends and the overall community that I interact with starts to use it. Yeah, I uh, I appreciate that you're coming at it from a different angle and that you have a more experience with Spotify than I do because that seems very much a core of the culture now. I, I would consider myself more of an iTunes guy. I've used Pandora and I don't know. I could not speak uh, effectively to the Spotify concerns. In three months, we should probably have you back, Brian, so we can just see what you're going to do. No, I'd be all for coming back and sort of doing a, a redux version of the episode and seeing where we're at three months from the line. Okay. Where can people find you online and check out your other podcast? Uh, so I can be found on Twitter at Brian M. Brush, and that's Brian with a Y, which is the right way to spell it. If you spell it with an I, I'm sorry that your parents failed you. <laughs> you can also find me at brianmbrush.com. Or you can listen to me spew some thoughts relating to education and instructional design on our podcast, which is All of the Above. Uh, so you can find that at alloftheabove.audio. Thank you very much, Brian. It's been a great time talking with you. And I, I really appreciate your, your thoughts, your podcast. Everyone, go check it out, All of the Above. It's available night on iTunes. Thanks again, Brian, for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is the end of Tectonic 10.4. 
We're so glad that you could make it all the way through. If you don't already have them, you can find the show notes with links at tectonic.fm slash 10-4. And if you're looking for us on Twitter, I'm underscore Joe Darnell. My co-host is Joshua Pfeiffer, and that is his name on Twitter. And the show is Tectonic FM. If you'd like to send us a message off the grid, then send your email to hello at tectonic.fm. And if you're looking for ways to subscribe, Tectonic is available through podcast apps like Pocket Casts, Overcast, and iTunes for the Mac. Blech. And I'm Joe Darnell. Thanks so much for listening to the Tectonic Podcast. That is the longest episode to date, but I don't know what we would have done. I don't know what we could have done, guys. That app is crazy, scary big. <laughs> we could not have condensed it further. Well, we, we could have we could have uh, slowly walked through my mind map, and, and I could have explained it all to you. That would have been, <laughs> it, it could have been good, good for putting folks to sleep, you know.